Welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Steve Fortunato, founder of Shovel the Sidewalk. We're a marketing firm in Buffalo, New York. We utilize the power and persuasion of storytelling to build brands and create advertising for our small business clients. The Sidewalk Talk podcast is about stories and storytelling, stories of inspiration, information, and education. And this episode, we are going to hear an inspirational story about a current American citizen who started his life in Vietnam, was forced to escape communism on the last plane out, and was lucky enough to start over in the United States and eventually live the American dream. Stephen Trong is our guest. He's a refugee from Vietnam, ended up in the United States in, in 1975. Great story. We'll get to that. Uh, Steve went on and served 22 years in the U.S. Army, retired Master Sergeant Trong. He spent five years active duty, 17 years in the Army Reserves, uh, served as an Immigration and Naturalization Special Agent, Special Agent for Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Special Agent for Customs and Border Protection, Office of Professional Responsibility. Stephen, thanks for your service and uh, thanks for your time and thanks for your willingness to tell your story. Oh, you're welcome. Pleasure. So, uh, Steve, I've, I've known you a while. Uh, now you, you live in the suburbs of Buffalo, beautiful family. Um, I've been trying to get you on this podcast for a while because I think your story is so inspiring. And then finally you reached out and said, you know what, I, we have to talk. I, I want to tell my story. What was it that uh, at, at the time of this recording, we're uh, end of June, uh, late June 2020, so the pandemic has hit. We've had some some racial divide uh, in, in our country. But what is it, Stephen, that forced you to say, all right, let's, let's talk about my story? Um, there's many reasons why I want to talk about my story. But one of the major reasons I want is just to remind people what a great country this is. Um, where else can you protest? Uh, where else can you uh, express your opinion? and you know, and not be um, physically abused or put into a room with no windows. You know, I think that's a great thing that we have, constitution, just the ability to freedom, and at the end of the day, freedom. So let's put this in perspective. We're going to go back uh, to the 1970s. You and your family were, were in Vietnam. Um, tell us what happened. Well, in Vietnam, my father was a businessman and uh, he did really, really well. He had a lot of uh, business with the United States, with uh, ProCAD, Alkaline, uh, Battery, uh, just to name a few. And we were, we were doing really well. And as you know, the war came, uh, communism uh, came to South Vietnam. We were living in Saigon. I remember I was about seven, probably eight years old. At 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock, um, someone came into my room and said, hey, listen, we got to go. Woke up, went downstairs in my PJs. Uh, next thing I know, my parents like, hey, get in the car. We got to go. I wind up in the airport in Saigon. We got out. I slept on the tarmac. And the next day, woke up. And I asked my mom and dad, hey, what's going on? They're like, we're going to America. And that was all the time I had to pack up everything I wanted, or everything I remember, my teddy bear, my piggy bank, you know, whatever that I 
was attached to was there at the time like on the floor and i was coming to america so you said your family did very well in vietnam but you had to escape communism um you had to start all over ago. You didn't end up in, you didn't, you started where, where did your journey take? You ended up in your family settled in, in New York city, right? Um, yes. Uh, we started off from Saigon. We were supposed to go to Hong Kong, but the plane in front of us was shot at. So they had to um, deviate from that route. So we went to Guam. That was our first landing on the U S territory. And we were there, um, in a refugee camp for about maybe three to five months so they could vet us, see who we were, get out some ID. You have to remember, I left there at 10 p.m. and we were on the airport in 20 minutes. That's all I had, that's all the time I had to grab everything we needed. So when we were at the refugee camp, um, the lucky thing was my mom, my dad, my uh, brothers and sisters, we all came as a family. we were there and it was enormous place where all the refugees with with us um i remember soldiers going everywhere i'll never forget this incident um i saw a soldier on a truck and you know, i being eight years old i was uh, amazed by the soldiers and the weapons and things like that and i started chasing a truck and i remember the guy he threw a teddy bear down and it was the hamburger from uh, uh, uh the mcdonald um uh, stuffed teddy bear and I held on to that and that was my first real contact with an American soldier he just threw it off the truck I grabbed it I took it back and, hey look what I got guys and we were there for about maybe three to five months and after that um, we headed for the states we went to Hawaii for a little bit and then we went to another refugee camp uh, I think it was out in Arkansas we were there for a while and I remember that was my first try of Kentucky Fried chicken they brought it into the camp and we had kfc and i'm still in love with kfc as of today after that we were there for maybe three months i think after that we needed someone to sponsor us in order to be on the mainland like a state or 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 where you can actually live my aunt who lived in uh, long island sponsored us sponsored us so we went from arkansas to long island and you know that was my uh, home for a little bit and it wasn't just my family my family seven my uncle was with us and he had a family of five and then we were all with my aunt in one house i think the square footage of that house was maybe about 1400 and we were there until uh, you know we decided to move out to queens um uh, mom and dad not speaking a word of english with uh five of us holding on um to mom and that's what we did let's set the stage so you escape communism last plane out from what i understand and you guys were did so well in vietnam and when you were in america your parents talk about inspiration your parents had to start all over they started all over i can't say that i don't know how many people could have uh gone through what you guys went through and then they started all over and they obviously did a great job 
Uh, I hope so. You know, mom and dad didn't speak the word English, and you know, we were on social assistance, you know, social assistance from the government. We we're very grateful for that. And I remember my father always said, "Goes, this is not going to be a long time. This is for the for us just to get our our bearing, and then we're getting off it because you need to provide for yourself, and we need to be a positive contribution to America." I'll never forget that, you know. Waiting for the check. Mom and dad worked hard. Mom worked in the sweatshop. Dad was home with us. And uh, he was taking classes to learn English. And we grew up in Queens. Uh, we moved a lot. I lived in Elmhurst. I lived in Corona. Uh, I lived in Astoria. And, you know, I took the train when I was 11, the subway by myself. You know, we had to fend for ourselves. Mom and dad. The most important thing was education to mom and dad. Said so no matter what, you better get good grades. And if you go to jail, you're staying in jail. Um, you know, those, those are words that you had to live by in the Trump family. So um, you ended up serving uh, a lot of years. Was that your give back? What, what, were, what, were, what, were, your, what were your reasons? That was definitely what I wanted to do. And it's not only me, my brothers did the same thing. We feel that we owe this country so much. Um, I mean, it gave me the life that I have now. Uh, all the soldiers who went and fought in Vietnam, whether they like it or not, they were there. They, they gave me an opportunity that I, I don't know how much I can say thank you, you know. Uh, I'm living the American dream, you know, I came from nothing to now I have a family. I'm living in the outskirts of Buffalo. I'm retired. It was my, I felt like it was my obligation to pay back to this country to serve in the military and in my civilian job as a civil servant. I love this country. So as someone who has experienced the extreme uh, of, of communism and, and what it forced you guys to do to um, come in and living the American dream, as you call it, um, seeing what you see now, we're not talking left or right, but seeing what you see now going on in our country, how does that, what are your thoughts? How does it make you feel? I'm, I'm angry. I'm heartbroken. Uh, it's a lot of feelings. Uh, I feel that you know, we, as citizens or people who live in here, we're just forgetting that humanity, you know, at the end of the day, we're human beings. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, you know, at the end of the day, you still label as a human being. And I really feel that we've forgotten about that. You know, like in the early 50s, people hold the door. They say, thank you. Um, they say, good morning. Uh, you don't see that much, even in the outskirts of uh, Buffalo, you know. I mean, growing up in New York City, it's just, it's like a rat race, and it just keeps going and going and going, and I think it has to stop sooner or later, and I'm hoping it stops soon. When you were uh, working in, in immigration as, as a special agent, can you tell me, what was that job? 
I think there's a lot of confusion. There's many different roles that you even played, but that, that special agents play. What was your role? What was your position? As a criminal investigator, special agent for immigration and naturalization. You enforce the immigration law. Um, and a lot of folks out there, they forget who writes the law. It's Congress. I just do my job. <clears throat> they give me something. It's like, okay, this is the statute that you have to enforce. And I just follow it. I can't be a Democrat. I can't be a Republican. Republican in regards to the law. I have to be the neutral party. I'm the UN. I show up, I enforce the law. But I think with the media and politicians, they forget that. They label the whole agency as being, oh my gosh, they are the people who are doing uh, the bad things. I don't think that's the case. I, I could tell you I worked tons of cases in human smuggling. At that time, it was the Chinese. They wanted to come to America and they would pay $30,000 to $50,000 to a snakehead who would be a smuggler to smuggle them in. And what they would do is in China, they would find the person who's most physically fit, a young man or young woman who's willing to work hard. And they would all chip in and they would get the money and arrange a route and they would come to America. And I've encountered many of them. And you have to see the people that I work with, we gave them money out of our own pocket because we know how bad they have it. I mean, we were just doing our job. Did we agree with some of the laws? Did we disagree? We put that aside and say, hey, look, if this is what we're tasked to do, we'll do it. But at the end of the day, I think most people forget that Congress, the people that we elect in office are the ones who are writing it. So if anyone should be upset, they should, hey, wait a minute. That guy's just executing that, the rules or the, uh, the guideline that he's given or she's given, but they don't. Uh, so I don't know if I went off, if I answered your question, Steve, but it, it's just so frustrating um, when we answer that question. Like, what do you do? You know, we enforce the immigration law. And as of right now, it's a hot topic. Like, oh, immigration, are you against immigration? Are you for immigration? Wait a minute, why are you locking people up in cages? I'm a refugee. I'm the first person to tell you immigration is the greatest thing in the world besides this country. So you're obviously then, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I feel like whether it's immigration, um, all the things that have been going on, everything has been politicized. So it's like exaggerated so much and then it becomes its own thing, whether it's on the left or, or it's on the right, which is why I'm, I'm so appreciative to talk to you and your, your passion for the country and your, um, your experiences that a lot of us, I was born in America, we've, we, have not, we have not experienced your experiences. So your perspective is so important. But it, it, am I on to something that we just, it, I, I suppose it's always been that way. You know, there's things have politicized, but it, I just feel like in the last couple of years, especially the last few months, the politicization of every, everything is politicizing becomes this thing of its own. And do you agree with that? Is, is that? is that a problem you think we have? I think we had a lot of problems in the United States. Here is a thing. I was talking to a friend the other day and he pretty much hit the nail on the head. He's like, before the internet, only a few people had the microphone. Now with social media and the internet, 
everyone has a microphone. The people who doesn't want to see you and say, hey, Steve, I really don't like you, look you in the eye. Now they have a platform to go on Twitter and say, Steve, I really don't like you. But they don't have to interact with you. They just said it, it's out there, they're done. I think that helped us and hurt us. Hurt us. Um, I think we're social beings. I think that we need to bring some of that back. Like, hey, you know, if you really dislike me, just come over, ring my doorbell, say, you know, Steve, I really don't like you. And I think it's easier that way. So we could talk it out. You know, that's what we're missing. We don't even talk to each other. We text each other. You know, like, like parents now, text, uh, Joe, where are you? Mom, at the baseball. I mean, whatever happened to, hey, at 3 o'clock, you better call me and tell me because school's over. Whatever happened to that? So uh, are, are you, I mean, obviously, internet and web and uh, having the microphones, good perspective. Social media is worldwide. It's just not an American thing. Is it exaggerated here? I mean, I, what, what you just said makes a lot of sense. People are hiding behind, you know, their phone when they're sending messages of disagreement they feel like, uh, I don't know if it's like you're more powerful now and they just send that out where they wouldn't say that in person. And then it just gets, it keeps, it keeps going. So right. it's, a, it's an interesting right. perspective. Yes. yes. So where do we, so, I mean, you were, you're obviously you're pretty emotional about the subject. Um, does your, can you talk more about, you know, your, your, passion for America because I feel I, I I feel like a lot of people maybe it's us and it's the you know we haven't experienced some of the things like the World War II generation or refugees like yourself we we just like we take it how about we take it for granted our our freedoms we've taken our freedoms for granted we've taken our country for granted there hat how do we how do we uh, recognize this and, and how do we do a better job of reaching out to each other and try to understand each other? I just feel like people don't understand each other and aren't willing to try to understand each other. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think it has to do with communication. There's no, like this, this podcast, you taking the time to say, you know what, I really want to know what this guy has to say. I don't think it's there anymore. No one wants to take the time to say, you know what, tell me your story. Why are you so angry? Why are you so happy today? You know, no one has the time. And they, I feel that people are like, you know, it's easier that I fill it in for you because I know what you want. You know, I had a, um, uh, a coworker, uh, he loved to talk. He just talk, talk, talk. And every time I go in an interview, I would always say to one of my friends, they oh, He's going to tell the bad guy how he planned this out. <laughs> so, you know, you got to, when you, you got to have a dialogue, you got to let people talk. And I think that's a big part that we're missing. Most people want to tell someone else's story instead of letting the individual tell their story. You know, I, I had David Bellavia on as a guest uh, a couple months ago, uh, Medal of Honor, uh, recipient um and and it was really and he he is he is on the conservative side he's a uh he's a republican um and the one that the one thing that stuck out to me was he was saying i 
we need to reach out and communicate more. You know, if you're a Democrat, I still want to help you. You know, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, I want to know your story. I want to know, I want to better understand your value system or what you're thinking. And I want you to try to understand me as well. I thought that was really powerful. It is. I think communication is really important. Uh, I don't think we have that. I think if there is communication, there's a lot of hurdle to get to it. It's not as open as what you and I are having right now. Uh, you know, time and like you said, you know, people just, uh, once they're set in their ways, they don't want to change. And I think you have to, you know, uh, I think one of the songs, Free Your Mind, you know, just open it up. Uh, I'm not a conservative. I'm not a liberal. At the end of the day, I'm a human being. I, this is what I think. This is what uh, my father and my mother taught me. This is what my kids taught me. And this is how I feel. I just don't think we have that. I don't want to keep saying, you know, being so negative. But we have to, as a human race, want, want it. You know, we have to sit down and say, do you really want to be a human being at the end of the day? You know, I think about it and we, you, know, you, you say you don't want to be so negative. Well, if we weren't in America, you wouldn't even, you may not even have that opportunity to, to have these discussions as it is, right? Well, Steve, I, I traveled the world for my job. I was uh, acting uh, senior representative for Saigon, the city that I left. I learned a lot. I mean, uh, it was a great opportunity. I've been to Madrid. I worked there. I worked in Barcelona. I worked in uh, Kuala Lumpur, uh, Singapore, uh, Jamaica. And every place I go to, I, I'll take a foreign national from that country, you know, take them out to lunch or dinner. And then you ask them, you look them in the eye, and you're like, hey, listen, what country, if you could go to any country right now, what country do you want to go to? Deep down in heart, they look back and they're like, United States. You know, that answers everything. That answers like, you know, why is this country? You could go to Iraq. And when they're in a group, that's a different environment. You know, they can protest or whatever they want, Afghanistan, you know. But at the end of the day, you take them in the room and you tell them, there's no recording. It's just you, me, and air. What country do you want to be in? I'm willing to bet my life, every single person would say United States of America. And that's a lot about country. So um, what's, if you, if you had the ability to talk to 330 million Americans at one time, what would your message be? Wow. Uh, talk to one another. We're all human beings. Stop hating. It's just so much wasted energy on hating, you know, like all this bottled up energy. If they took that energy and try to find a cure for cancer, I'm sure they would find a cure. Uh, it's just negative energy. I'm not trying to tell them to be, you know, uh, uh, they should hug everyone and love everyone, but be open-minded and just listen to people and what they have to say and take a walk in their shoes. There's uh, so many people from so many different paths of life that they had it really, really hard. And you know what? They sucked it up 
they moved on, and they try to look at the positive thing in life. Um, I don't want to be, you know, the guy who's going to teach someone who's 90 years old, or I don't want to give an opinion to someone who lived life. That's just how it works for me. And I feel that maybe if one person out of that 300 something million heard it and, and do something, and that's great. At the end of the day, we need to start being accountable for our own actions. You know, if you go out there, my father said, hey, look, listen, if you go out there and you do something dumb, that's not on me. I told you not to do that. So it's on you. And you have to start doing things like that. And hey, wait a minute, who's, why is that my fault? It's not my fault. That's your fault. You did it. You were the person who conducted the action. You executed on that action. I had nothing to do with it. Uh, I think as soon as we start having a little more communication, accountability, hopefully we'll be back on track. You know, this country is awesome. And the way we keep going down the road with, you know, Seattle, the social unrest of Black Lives Matter, you know, we need to sit down with them and, and talk to those leaders. You know, here's my question. Every so many years, we, we vote for someone. And now that person goes and represents us and speaks for us. How come when they get to the place they get to, they don't talk about the stuff that we were actually really concerned about, like stuff that you and I actually could connect with? Uh, Maybe uh, uh, too many police officers or too little police officers. It becomes an a change agenda. It's, it's the agenda that they are looking for. My other question is, how can you have a job that you work for 30 something years and you're still not sick of. I don't care what kind of job it is. If you've done 25, 28 years, it's time to say, you know what? It's time for me to go. I think a new person should come and say, hey, this is a new view, a new perspective on the world. I, I, I just think that, you know, people cannot stay. And I'm not talking about term limit. That's politics. I'm just saying that any job you do, you're a doctor. 27, 28 years, it's time for you to be a teacher. You know, just move on and know your, know your limits. It just seems like no one knows their limits anymore. They just do what they do and no accountability. So I don't know if it made any sense or not. I, I you know. Well, we were talking before air and you mentioned accountability. Accountability is important to you. Is that something, is that right from your parents? Is that what you were taught and it's just stuck with you? And now you're not seeing it from the politicians? It has to do with, you know, my parents upbringing, you know, saying, hey, listen, you're always accountable for your action, no matter what. Uh, Politicians, you know, I don't want to get into politics, but my question is how can every single politician start off not a millionaire, but they end their career as a millionaire. I'm a civil servant. I'm definitely not a millionaire. You know, I, they were a civil servant, but I am very, very confident that 99.9% of them come out as millionaire. How, how can that be? You know, can someone answer that question? And the media, you know, since we're talking about, you know, how I feel and like the media, they have the most powerful job in the world, communication. They put out whatever they want. And why is it that they put a twist on something and 
there's no accountability for that. No matter if it's Fox or CNN, you know, it just seemed like report the news. Is that your job? Right, report the news. And then tell me when it's the editorial, because I will turn the station. I'm a grown adult, I could figure it out. And if I want to, I'll listen to it or not. But there's no news. Okay, Steve Truong did A, B, and C. That's it, that's all I want to know. But there's no station that does that. You know, there's always bias. You always gotta sift through it. I remember one time, I would come home from school, mom and dad say, okay, it's time to watch the news. We turn on the news as a family. Ask that question to your viewers. How many people come home, sit down, and watch the news as a family? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I, I had Tim Wenger on, uh, who is the, um, well, he's the news director operations person at WBEN News Radio 930 in, in, in Buffalo. And I talked to him about fake news and all that. And, um, one of the things that he did say that I agree with is there's been, for whatever reason, um, well, competition is one reason, but uh, there's been a, a merging of like uh, opinion versus news into, it used, you know, like some, I think that's the point you're making. It just appears that a lot of times, whichever network or whatever you're reading, the new, the opinion actually is positioned as news. And yes. that has got to be separated. Yes. That has got to be separated. And I see that as a, as a major, major problem. And that's why a lot of people like yourself, when you're saying, you know, smart enough, I could figure it out. You know, I'm, eventually I'm going to figure out that's, wait, that, that's opinion. That's not news. I do think that's a problem that you know, needs to be, needs to be corrected. It's dangerous. All right, we're talking with Stephen Trong. Um, Stephen, I say the last name right. I always say I always say yeah. Trong. Well, okay. Sure, yes. So, uh, Stephen, a refugee from Vietnam, who uh, I've gotten to know, is a great guy and um, is a great cook. So, talk about something you like. Give me some food stuff. Give it. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? You make great soup. I know that. Dumplings. I could. I could do that one. I'm pretty good at the dumplings. Dumplings. That's it. When when you can open up your own restaurant, your wife is gonna, oh, not boy, gonna be I, happy I that I asked you this. <laughs> yeah, no, Steve, I, I don't think we should do that in another podcast. <laughs> I get divorced now. Another time, maybe over right. a cup of coffee at uh, a right. local coffee shop. How's that? All right, man. I appreciate you, uh, Steve Trong. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for your perspective. Uh, truly inspiring story. Your parents, your family, having it all. Uh, literally uh, giving it all up for freedom and starting all over uh, and working your way back, uh, utilizing uh, and taking advantage of the American dream. That's fantastic. Um, so glad that you're an American citizen. Glad I got to know you. And thanks again for your service. And uh, thanks for your perspective. Thanks, Steve. Uh, I just want to say one thing out there. You know, thank you, America, for um, giving me the opportunity to live here and have a, raise a family. You can download all of our Sidewalk Talk podcasts on your platform of choice. You can also watch any of our podcasts by visiting our website, shovelthesidewalk.com. And if you or someone you know has a story of inspiration, information, or education that you think needs to be shared, fill out a simple form on our website and we'll get back to you and we'll record an episode. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for watching and participating. I'm Steve Fortunato and this has been Sidewalk Talk.